for me, chiropractic is about helping people fulfill their potential. I have my tagline or my Northern star. The thing that excites me about what I do is that I truly believe that as human beings, we're designed to live extraordinary lives. And that's why I put my hands on people. And that's why I want people to come and see me through chiropractic is to not just be out of pain, which is perhaps where chiropractors choose to play the game of chiropractic. It's, it's certainly, it's still a part of my practice. That's what people want, but beyond pain relief, there's prevention and beyond prevention, of pain, there's performance and beyond performance, there's truly fulfilling your innate potential to live an extraordinary life. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, an extraordinary soul. This beautiful woman graduated from RMIT in Melbourne with honours in 2001. Dr. Carmen Atkinson has successfully owned several chiropractic practices in Melbourne before she relocated to the sunny coast in 2016, where she opened her own studio, The Health Studio in Malula Bar. She's all about a practice that is dedicated to delivering the highest quality holistic health services, cultivating a strong community of wellness-focused people, all aspiring to live their best lives. She sat on the board of the Australian Spinal Research Foundation, and she has also convened the largest chiropractic conference in Australasia, coordinating thousands of delegates, exhibitors, and speakers from all over the world. She is also as you're about to find out, an avid ultra-distance endurance athlete. Competing in her first marathon in 2005, she quickly found a passion for races that went beyond the usual marathon distance of 42.2 kilometres. She has since competed in over 25 ultras and in 2018 claimed the title of the 100K Australian Trail Ultramarathon Champion. She's also completed six Ironman triathlons, including the illustrious Kona Ironman World Championships in 2015. In 2018, Carmen completed the Australian Ultraman, a three-day ultra-distance triathlon, covering over 512 k's of swimming, cycling and running, a race she'd attempted a year earlier but crashed her bike on day one, resulting in face, head and hand fractures. But as you'll hear, this incredible being is never deterred by setbacks and challenges. She feels 2021 was her best year of ultra-distance racing, competing in the inaugural Ultra 355 in Harvey Bay and another three-day triathlon, finishing second female as well as completing the audacious task of racing a 100-mile ultra-trail event in Brisbane where she finished on the podium in third place. Whilst there are many events still on her bucket list, there is absolutely no way she could have achieved all of this without really doing the work on herself. Yoga has been something that has really helped her to really dive deep and get curious about who she is. Now, even though she has achieved a lot, and in spite of a diagnosis as a teenager with severe spinal scoliosis, she was told she could end up in a wheelchair but as you'll see, her powers as an athlete and then, of course, looking at her yoga teacher training has really supported her to offer a unique approach that fuses her clinical perspectives as a health practitioner with her athletic knowledge and experience, together with such a high reverence for the subtle energetic body and the spiritual teachings of ancient yogic traditions. Her fundamental belief is that as human beings, we have the divine blueprint to live an extraordinary life. And this extraordinary woman is committed to helping and inspiring people to realize that innate potential. I cannot wait for you to hear this week's podcast. And if you'd like to follow Carmen, all her details are in the show notes. She really is a beautiful soul. And if you're inspired to move that body of yours, even in the slightest, maybe become a little bit better of a more natural athlete, then make sure you follow her on her socials. You will be nothing short of being totally inspired. Cannot wait to hear your thoughts and feedback. Please let me know on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison28, Facebook, Kim Morrison Training. You can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast, or you can go to any of the platforms to share this amazing, beautiful soul 
And I'd like to give thanks to 28 Essentials for being the most amazing sponsor, allowing me to bring beautiful souls right here, right now, like Carmen Atkinson. Enjoy today's show. I absolutely love interviewing beautiful people, but when those beautiful people are dear friends, there's something even more exciting about sharing them with you, my beautiful audience. And I would love to welcome Dr. Carmen Atkinson to the show. Thank you for being on the Self Love Podcast, Gorgeous. Thanks, Kim. I'm so excited to be invited and share some of my story and who I am with your audience. So thank you so much. Well, let's get into that because your story is fascinating. There's been lots of highs and lots of lows. Mm-hmm. You have pushed yourself to the extreme, not only uh, physically, but mentally and emotionally. You've done some pretty extraordinary things, but maybe let's just before we get into everything and anything, let's go mm-hmm. back as to who you were, where you grew up. Give us a little background as to how you grew up and what was what is it that's made you into who you are today? Good question. Um, I grew up in the northern suburbs of Melbourne in Victoria. Um, I was a a super active kid, a super determined child from a very young age. Um, I was the kind of kid that hated being sick because I didn't want to miss out a day of school in case I missed something imperative or um, I I wanted to always get 10 out of 10 for my spelling bees and I wanted to be involved in any sport, every sport I could. Deeply driven, I think, internally. I think often my parents would try to curb that in me or try to tell me to chill out a little bit that I don't need to take life so seriously. But I actually think it was quite inbuilt into me. Um, So, yeah, I guess just a suburban Melbourne kid who loved playing sport. I guess a bit of a tomboy. I loved hanging out with the boys and playing sports. And um, it was gymnastics in the early days and then running, you know, once I got into early high school, started to take priority from an athleticism point of view um but yeah I guess where to go from there (laughs) well so did you have siblings and were you competitive with them because often when there's a competitive child in the family it can cause all sorts of issues but was it a big issue or were you the only competitive one uh, not a, it definitely wasn't an issue. My, um, my brother, Brad, who's also a chiropractor actually. And, um, he absolutely is one of my favorite human beings today. He's a, he's a, a dear friend and a, um, a confidant and as well as being a brother. And I, I saw him recently for the first time in a couple of years. So it's been lovely to, to refuel that love with him. Um, but we weren't competitive at all. I actually, he was probably much more talented than me. I would say much more naturally, um, athletic and and but it it seemed to come a bit more easier to him than it did I so there was certainly not resentment but I often admired how easy things came to him and I had to work harder for that I often said if I had his ability and and my drive I'd probably probably have got further uh, in life or in success but um yeah and certainly no and and competitiveness wasn't driven by our parents either I, I really do think it was something that was quite inbuilt in me to to strive and to be better and to constantly find what I'm capable of and to do the best I can. And um, I'm not one to have ever really wanted to settle for mediocrity, to be honest, Um, which has been both a gift and probably the bane of some of my challenges or the root of some of my challenges as well. Imagine, but you know, for every for every side, there's always another side, and we always know we can't have the great and the highs without the not so great and the lows. But I think sometimes those shadow sides of us, um, it's really then comes down to perspective as to when we regard it as a gift or a curse. But mm. I'm curious as to when you got interested and passionate. Um, was chiropractic something you wanted to do from school, or was it something that was led to you? Uh, I think I, I, I always knew I wanted to be a chiropractor. Um, I, we grew up as a family seeing chiropractors, which is back then, that's, you know, the early 80s. It wasn't as common as what it is today. And um, I think m- my mum had her own journey in chiropractic that led to both my brother and I receiving chiropractic care and um, being interested in sport and interested in human function and human health. It it was obvious that that's what I wanted to do with my life. I graduated high school quite early though. So prior to studying chiropractic, I decided to do a sports science degree first. I think just feeling like I needed a little bit more maturity behind me. um, And, and I was certainly interested in sport and 
so that I did that first, but I was always, it was always the intention to study chiropractic very shortly or as soon as I graduated from my human movement degree. Um, yeah. The, the human movement, this is a fascinating topic in itself. One mm. of my favourite pastimes is to sit there and people watch and look at the mm. gates, look at the shoulders, look at the postures, look at the way we engage or how we stand. It is actually an incredibly um, detailed um Oh, it's, it's quite microscopic, some of these little mm. movements that can make a huge difference to the neurological and physiological self. So how did that then behind you with that science and understanding of human movement, obviously then moving into the neurological aspects and understanding the spine and everything there is to go with it from chiropractic point of view, you mm. must have had a little bit of a leading edge then and a real beautiful, well-rounded understanding. Did that help you in your chiro degree? Um, I, I definitely think it helped, um, with the anatomy and the physiology, like the basic sciences. I think it, as an athlete, I think I also had great reverence for human performance, um, and what it takes to perform at the elite level. And that small, um, shifts in posture and function can have a big impact, uh, for the better and for harm as well. So I think I, throughout my chiropractic study, I, I, I really appreciated, um, like, as you say, it's like sometimes it's a small thing that can make a big difference. And so, yeah, I, th I think it gave me some advantage in that. And once I graduated, being able to communicate that to patients, um, that it wasn't just getting out of pain as such, but it was about let's work with optimising function to optimize human performance to optimize your human health and vitality that's amazing is that really the fundamental essence of chiropractic or is that you giving it your twist um i think at the mm, <laughs> it's a difficult question to uh, answer i think for me chiropractic is about helping people fulfill their potential I have my tagline or my Northern star. The thing that excites me about what I do is that I truly believe that as human beings, we're designed to live extraordinary lives. And that's why I put my hands on people. And that's why I want people to come and see me through chiropractic is to not just be out of pain, which is perhaps where chiropractors choose to play the game of chiropractic. It's, it's certainly, it's still a part of my practice. That's what people want, but beyond pain relief, there's prevention and beyond prevention, of pain, there's performance and beyond performance, there's truly fulfilling your innate potential to live an extraordinary life. Um, so that's, that's certainly what motivates me as a chiropractor. I love the innate word. There's something about the intelligence of the body. We put such mm. emphasis on trying to fix the body rather mm. than acknowledging how well it adapts and can mm. overcome and can improvise, but also can heal just mm. as quickly sometimes as we can make it as ill or dysfunctional. What's your thoughts around people's general speaking, your thoughts around general population of how they treat their bodies? Do we treat it with the same reverence that you have for it uh, I, it saddens me to say no I think um, I think people mm, at first I don't think they acknowledge what they're truly capable of I don't feel that they acknowledge the self-healing intelligence that resides within them that oozes through them that is like the chiropractic meaning of life is that we are an innate expression of universal intelligence and um, and if people knew that, and if people truly believe that, I think we would treat ourselves very differently. And that, that, that expression of innate is dependent upon the environment that we choose to put ourselves in, the, in our relationships, our, um, sleep and food and nutrition. And there's so many and stress and there's so many things within our environment that compromise our innate expression. And, I think if people did revere that, they would take a lot better care of themselves and then they would experience um, a greater version of themselves. Yeah, and I think that's mm. the role. I know I've been guilty of it myself. When life's great, don't pay too much attention. It's not mm. until we're sick or broken or hurt that mm. we then go, oh, I've got to go see the chiro. But would mm. your advice be see a chiropractor for general health and well-being once, twice, three times a week? What would be your thoughts there for general health? 
I think we put so much stress on our bodies and chiropractic is an avenue to help the body adapt to stress. So like, you know, you don't just eat one healthy meal a week and expect to be healthy. You don't go to the gym once a week and expect to be the fittest, strongest version of yourself. Similar chiropractic. I think if we do it regularly, whether that's fortnightly for some, whether it's monthly for some, whether it's less for others, it's just a regular tune up or regular in with a chiropractor to ensure there's optimal function of the spine and the nervous system um, is certainly something that I advocate to not wait you know, there's that, that saying that the body constantly whispers to us that things aren't right and you don't want to wait for it to scream to act. And I think if we get regular check-ins and tune-ups and, and chiropractic care, it we don't have to wait for it to scream. We can pay attention to the whispers and ensure that we're, we're functioning at our best. So I think regularity and frequency is, is the best way to utilise chiropractic. Yeah, beautiful. Let's talk about you then because <laughs> you are an incredible athlete. I'd be really curious for you to talk to us a little bit about how you got involved and became an incredible ultra-distance endurance athlete. You don't just wake up one day and go, <laughs> I'm going to run an ultra-marathon or I'm going to do a 100K trail race or I'm going to do yeah. an Ironman. How did you get led into that by saying just recently, just beforehand, that you weren't yeah. actually as natural at it as you thought? So how on earth did you do this and do it so well? <laughs> I think, I just again, just being a super active kid who loved being outdoors and loved sport of all kinds, I, I did my first um I mean, in early, like high, so primary school, I would do all the cross countries and all the swim carnivals. I put my hand up for everything. And then in early high school, um, I did my first 10K fun run and it was across the West Cape Bridge in Melbourne. And I actually met Cliffy Young that day. He was running in his tracksuit pants with holes in them and those of your listeners who are familiar with Cliffy Young. But I met him that day and, and it was just that a feeling Crossing that finish line of after 10Ks, it was just a feeling that I hadn't experienced in any other area of my life, like deep pride and satisfaction and an eagerness, even at that age of I think I was 12, to just to continually pursue that. Um, and then over the years, 10Ks turned into a half marathon and then that audacious goal of running my first marathon so I ran my first marathon in 2005 and it was a point a to point b marathon um from Frankston to Melbourne and you would jump on a bus and they the bus would take you to the start line and I remember sitting next to a lady I, I'll never forget this conversation her name was Wendy and she, I was telling her that it was my first marathon and she'd done many and her, her advice to me was just don't go out too hard this is your first one you'll get caught up in the start line and the excitement of it but just just hold back, contain yourself. And I didn't do that. And I went out way too hard. And then at the 27 kilometre mark, absolutely hit the wall and spent the next 10Ks limping and crying and convincing myself to somehow keep going and try to talk myself out of not quitting. And then in the last few kilometres, I found something. I found another gear and the pain sort of disappeared and the excitement of finishing my first marathon took over. And that first marathon experience captured me. Like the curiosity of what I felt at the 20, between the 27 and the 37 kilometre mark and um, that, that just overarching pain and sufferance to then come through that and cross the finish line and the the complete opposite emotion of exhilaration and euphoria and joy and pride and I just wanted more of that 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 and to explore that within myself and and how could I do it better how could I then it was how could I do it faster and um, how can I train better? And if I went out slower and contained myself more at the start, like Wendy, my friend on the bus, suggested, what could I, what could I have achieved? Um, and then from marathons, I in two thousand and I think it was two thousand and seven, I met someone who had recently come back from South Africa, um, where they raced uh, the Comrades Ultramarathon, which is a very notorious ultramarathon, one of the largest ultramarathons, road ultramarathons in the world by participation. And um, I, I kind of got curious about what, what ultramarathon running was then. And 
of course, we learned that anything over 42 kilometres is is considered an ultramarathon. So in 2007, I just had, I sort of, that was, that seed was planted, this, this allure of what comrades would be. And I ran in a team of four in the Oxfam trail walker and we as a team decided to run and that was a hundred kilometre trail run. And that was my first ultramarathon. And I realised quickly that I loved the longer stuff. I, I, I might not have been the fastest runner, but what I found within me and have cultivated over the last 15 odd years now is the, the capacity to keep going when I'm hurting, the capacity to keep going when my body and my mind are telling me to do otherwise. And I just, I, I thrive on that experience um, in ultramarathon running. So um, in that very first mar- ultramarathon, I, similar moment I guess to my first marathon I I had a moment at the 80 kilometer mark where I I basically tripped over my own feet on the trail and was laying face down in the dirt and every inch of me ached I was in so much pain and one of my team members crouched down next to me and he said I know you're hurting but are you are you gonna are you hurting more now or are you gonna hurt more if you pull out and don't finish this race or which do you choose and then he just walked off <laughs> and just left me to contemplate that question. Will I hurt more now or hurt more if I quit? And I just laid there and I thought, well, it's nearly, it's dark time. It's the middle of the night by this stage. We've been going for 14 odd hours. Um, and I just found, I guess, the the desire to keep going. It's like, well, what do I, what do I do? In this moment, all I can do is find a way to my feet. So I kind of like a baby giraffe, <laughs> all awkwardly, I picked myself up off the ground and started, just stood there at first and, okay, I'm standing and okay, let's, let's see if we can walk and just take a few steps. And I walked awkwardly. I couldn't really bend my knees. My, my knees were so sore. So I, was, I started walking with straight legs and then eventually I started running and, and then I found my way back into the race and, we, I finished that last three kilometres of that first 100-kilometre ultramarathon faster than any three kilometres in that race. And that to me just I, is completely um, overwhelming and, and, and I'm curious. I keep coming back to that word curious because I just find it um, so curious and I, I loved it. And so began my passion for ultramarathon running and since then I've done many no I don't know what I'm up to well over 20 ultra marathons and um am I waffling too much Kimmy stop me if no no <laughs> I've, got, I've got goosebumps I mean you know um, that I love ultras they were they were what I did when I was younger yeah. and I I'm curious too because yeah. what well, I'm always interested to know um people listening to this would go your knees you couldn't bend you could hardly stand you're in mm. so much pain why why do you do this? Mm-hmm. And I've been asked that so mm-hmm. many times. Why don't you just drive there? And I just, I'd really like, mm-hmm. I know that you're talking about the euphoria, but I don't think unless anyone's done it, mm-hmm. can anyone really fully appreciate mm-hmm. what it's like to cross that line? Talk to mm-hmm. me then a little bit about the mental side of it, because physically mm-hmm. we are incredible. The way we are resilient, the way mm-hmm. we can keep pushing through certain pain, but Talk to me about what would go on in your head because I'd really mm. like to know the negatives or the, you know, the, the parts of you where you really challenged with your voices. Mm. You, you de- particularly for the long staff, we, you absolutely go to some very dark places um, and it's a constant negotiation with self to keep going. Um, I think for me, it's staying in curiosity. Like, what am I capable of? So I'm constantly in pursuit of discovering my outer edges and of my performance and my my outer edges of capacity, athletic capacity. So when I'm hurting, when I'm deep in suffering, which we get to in ultramarathon running, it's that let's just let's just get curious about how much further I can go or let's get strategic as to how I might get to the next checkpoint. Um, So I I constantly, I guess, evaluate what could I do to make this a little 
less uncomfortable. Do I need to eat? Do I need to change my socks? Do I need to take a rest? Um, do I need to sing a song? Do I need to chant a mantra? Um, I use mantras a lot um, to, and, 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 and I count a lot. So just strategies of mind distraction um, are tools that I use. Uh, I, I think, and most recently as I'm, I'm embarking on deep into my yoga practice at the moment, really committed to my spiritual practice. And yoga teaches us that pain is inevitable, but suffering isn't. It's the story that we attach to our pain that leads to suffering. And I think, and that's more recently over the last few years as as an athlete, it's that, okay, I am feeling pain, but if I make this pain mean more than what it is, then, then it's going to be deep suffering. So let's change the story around it. So if I feel pain and all of a sudden my story is I'm hopeless, I didn't train hard enough, I'm not going to make it, I'm no good, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get the time I want or the place I wanted, then that's going to cultivate suffering and that's no fun. Whereas if I experience my pain with interest, oh, that's, that's interesting that my right knee sore or that my right hip sore or oh, yeah, it makes sense that my feet are sore. I've been running for 18 hours or there's a few blisters. So, And I just be with the discomfort rather than pushing the discomfort away and kind of breathe into it and lean into it and acknowledge it, then that has helped a lot in continuing to keep going when you get to those dark places in a race. And I think everybody, no matter whether it's a 5K, a 10K, half marathon, marathon mm-hmm. or ultra, there's pain points depending on your ability or what you've done in the past. And, mm-hmm. and I think what you're saying, in my humble opinion, I go to the gym and it never gets easier and, mm-hmm. and I'm getting stronger, but it's never mm-hmm. getting easier. And mm-hmm. therefore, in the pursuit of excellence and being the best that you can be, you're always going to be pushing yourself, aren't you? hundred percent. And I, I think I've coached a few athletes over the years with, to running and I'll often remind that you don't train so that when you get to the race day, it doesn't hurt. You train to know what the discomfort feels like. So when you meet it in the race, you know how to handle it. Um, so I, and I'm the same, I mean, I do strength training and my strength training sessions are 40 minutes high intensity. And I, oh my gosh, I, I, I've, the pain sometimes and you feel like you're going to vomit and um, it's, and it just doesn't seem to get any easier. But as you say, you're getting stronger. But it's, it's the idea of training for races or for life is not to not avoid pain, but it's to know how to lean into it and how to be with pain and how to move through it with a little less sufferance, I think, and a little more ease and to grow from the experience, whether that be physically or mentally or spiritually. So, yeah, I humbly agree. <laughs> I think, too, the, bo- the better we train and the better we participate in the way that we train, mm. not only do we get all of those things um, as beautiful benefits, but also our recovery is quicker or better or stronger And we, mm. if we're prepared for that. Now, as I'm talking to you and as I'm hearing you, everything you say to me, you could replace the word ultra or running to life and living. And the one thing that I've discovered talking to ultra marathon athletes and anyone that does any sort of endurance event is when we push through pain barriers, we actually open our heart, our souls, our spirit, and we realize there's way more within us. And I don't know any other way that we can crack open ourselves to see just what's within us other than a physical experience. Do you think there's any other way that you really get to get that same feeling? Mm, I, I agree with you. And that, and that's my motivation for doing these races. I think is just that I'm tra- we're training ourselves for life. Like life can be tough and it can be hard. And I can look back on my experiences in, in racing and training and know that I got through some really tough times and I saw in me capacity that I, I haven't seen anywhere else. And, and in life then I can go, okay, well, if I got through that, I can get through what I'm dealing with in day-to-day life. And I think it is, it is really hard to replicate that anywhere else. Uh, I, I, I do believe that it is, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have any other tools in my life. I don't think that as well as what running gives me in terms of revealing my capacity. 
Um, the, the other thing, and maybe this is not relevant, I guess the other thing that running gives to me is beyond just teaching me my real, I guess, cultivating my resources for managing life and training and racing and is that there's this spiritual motivation for me as a runner that I haven't, I'm yet to get anywhere else. And I'm hoping maybe I can get it through meditation practice. And that is that there's a moment in a race beyond pain, beyond time, beyond distance, that there's this, um, we kind of dissolve a sense of self, that, that time kind of seems to stand still and move quickly all at the same time, that you become this, minute experience in the totality of your life that there's just it's just a point in time and yet you also simultaneously experience this expansion of self and this wow like I'm connected to all this I, I don't know whether I'm explaining this well but running gives me that running gives me that like nothing else and that that yeah that duality that that sense of mm, wonder about who I am as a human being and that that connection to something greater than me as a human being and I haven't found that anywhere else I I, I like to think that one day my commitment to my meditation practice will will enlighten me to experience those moments of union with self and source Um, but at the moment I get that from running at times not every race and certainly not every training session there's a time in a very long race when you've been going at it, that there's a moment of awakening or enlightenment or transcendence of that, that I haven't been able to get anywhere else. The body is remarkable. And then when mm. you add into that the power of the mind, it's almost like we're unstoppable. And when mm. I love watching elite athletes or triathlons or any sporting event and you just watch what the human body is capable of, mm. it's extraordinary. There's also mm. times when, and I'm not sure if it's just adrenaline, but, you know, a mother seeing her child underneath a, a really heavy tree or a car and lifting it, finding that there, there's just this, this human potentiality that very few of us ever get to touch, feel or discover. Would you say you've reached a maximum or do you think there's more? I absolutely think there's more. <laughs> um yeah, I absolutely. I don't know what it is. I don't know how much more, but I think um, I think it'd be ignorant to think that I've reached my capacity. I really feel that there's more strength and more endurance, and um, that I haven't even tapped into yet. And it, as a, as an aging athlete, I mean, I'm in my late forties now. I I don't. I don't want to accept that I have reached my maximum. I, I definitely, as, as I am aging, I might be slowing down and there's challenges and I'm kind of redefining my relationship with running as I'm getting a little bit older and, my, and I need to be careful about or just mindful about the expectations I set and not comparing myself to a younger version of myself. But I still feel there's greater things to achieve and endure and overcome and realise within me that I haven't yet done. Can you then explain, do you think the extreme of ultras, is that to balance it? Is that what attracted you to yoga? How did yoga fit into your world? Um, not, not initially. What, what attracted me to yoga initially was the physicality. It was just another opportunity to push myself. Um, I was very drawn to very strong forms of practices of of yoga, like your Bikram and your uh, like being strong power flows. As my yoga journey has evolved, it has. I'm definitely seeing it now as the counter, as the balancing. It is my time. I have a busy mind and a driven mind, and yoga offers me stillness and a, a container for my thoughts and my feelings. And and now. I, I, t- I go more to restorative-based yoga practices or just sitting on my mat in stillness or hugging a bolster in child's pose or just working on my pranayama, my breathwork practice or my meditation. So very rarely now do I practice strong yoga and it has become the balance to 
the, the yin to my yang. <laughs> um, and, and I, I craft time in my week and, in, and make it, it's a priority for me to find that, that softness and that ease and that stillness, recognizing within me that, that I have lived a lot of my life pushing and striving and seeking. And, um, so yeah, so yoga is definitely the counterbalance now. You said earlier that you were quite a tomboy growing up <laughs> and hard yoga still has that more yang energy, whereas mm. the restorative yoga has more of that yin. When mm. you're someone who's pushing herself so much, how do you then create and keep balance with your femininity? Uh, I, yeah, that's, oh, that's such a good question. I, I'm, I'm going to awkwardly answer it. I think it's, um, I feel like I, I disowned my femininity for a very long time and um, and now I'm in a same-sex relationship and, and with that there's a stigma of not being feminine as well and um, I almost for, for a while and still I have to give myself permission to frock up, <laughs> to put an eye stress on, to get my hair done, to, like, to really embrace the softer side of myself and... And I think the the contra, not the contra, the juxtaposition of athleticism and that yang, that striving, can be quite masculine. To to, to then embrace the aspect of myself that's quite hippie, <laughs> that likes to um, is, is spiritual and um, I, don't, I don't like using all that like uh, words like tree hugging like that that softer side of me it's taken a long time for me to embrace that aspect of myself and to own and to recognize that I can be both that I often felt that I had to be one without the other and if I'm not a I can't be the runner and the hippie yogi and what I'm realizing is that I can embrace both embrace both embrace both aspects of myself um I found that I found that in practice as well as a chiropractor a lot of my early mentors were male I love them. They've guided me on this on this chiropractic path. But I've enjoyed practicing chiropractic more so in the last three to five years because I've given myself permission to lead with my heart, not my head so much, to be a more feminine practitioner for one to embrace that femininity, that nurturing, that compassionate loving side. Whereas I think in my early years as a chiropractor, there was this drive to be and do it the way that my my male mentors had done it and it and it, it there's always a level of incongruency I think with that and as I've embraced my femininity as I've embraced my sexuality as I've embraced myself in totality that I can be all things <laughs> that I can't I don't need to limit myself or put myself in a, a particular uh, vestibule or box that I can be all of that I feel that my the way I practice and offer my services as a yoga teacher and as a chiropractor has softened and has become much more nurturing and much more feminine. Um, yeah. Beautiful. And it's such an amazing thing to be in touch with our bodies enough to recognize when we need to be gentle. And I think mm. I hear myself, obviously not to your level, but I hear myself in you where I, I've pushed drive, go, 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 and don't stop. Mm. And, the best yoga I ever took on was gentle yoga where we mm. literally laid on a bolster for nearly mm. the whole class. I couldn't believe that was, that's not doing anything. I thought we're not, <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. I'm wasting my time. This is an yes. hour that I could have done yes. something else. Yes. Yeah. And my head would spin and my teachers, I was doing teacher training as well. And they'd say, Kim, mm. this is the best yoga for you. This is exactly mm. what you, know. I could not understand that for months, mm. but now in my mid fifties, with a few little niggles and a surgeon saying that, you know, some of your, your your tendons are a little bit like rope that's been out at sea for a while, you know. I just love the way they, they question mm. it and talk about it. But from a chiropractic point of view then, as we age, mm. I don't like to use, you know, ageing as an excuse mm. to not be our best. But there is no doubt there's a bit more wear and tear, particularly when you've done extreme sports like mm. ultras. How mm. do you maintain that? Is it supplementation? Is there certain foods that you eat in order to ensure your body's at its best? How do you maintain that strength and the youth-like ability mm. of our mind, body, and muscles? 
I think that we need to be absolutely, and not just older athletes, but I, I, I would love some of my younger athletes to take heed of this message, and I wish I did too, but we absolutely have to prioritise recovery. Um, the food we eat um, in general, but the food we eat post a workout, um, our hydration, um, chiropractic, body work, massage, acupuncture, uh, I, I, I would do things like normatec, like compression boots and hot, cold baths and infrared saunas. And when I, decades ago, if I put together a program for myself or had a coach put a program together, I didn't allow time for recovery. I just, it was just working and training and eating enough to get by really. Whereas now there is a recovery day. There's active recovery post-workouts there's making sure i eat great foods antioxidants nourishing foods post-workout there's making sure i have those regular massages all those things are just such a high priority for me now and when we don't do those i think that's when the wheels will start to fall off and we can't expect to keep performing at a high level or fulfilling our potential if we're burnt out um I also think the diversity within a program is really important. So I don't run as many sessions in a week as what I used to. I would do more rides. Uh, I bring in the strength training, even within the runs, making sure that my easy runs are easy, like turning the watch off. It doesn't matter how fast I'm running and just really honoring that today is an easy run. There's nothing to achieve other than being out here, moving my body as active recovery. And I think paying attention to that is crucial as we get older. Um, and it's certainly, I mean, I've always had mindfulness around it, but absolutely not to the degree that I, that I do now. An incredible coach for these young people. <laughs> uh, although I have to say sometimes when we're young, we still think we know it all and <laughs> we may not always do as we're told, but mm. just to have someone like you had Wendy on the bus, just sometimes mm. those little comments are enough for us to change maybe even our perspective on what we mm. expect ourselves to be. Mm. So from your experience then, and as an incredible athlete, what would you say for you in all the 20 or so ultras you've done, what in your humble opinion was the perfect race? Mm -hmm. um, to be it was my last race. So last year in July, I ran a hundred miler. It was my first 100-mile running race, 160 kilometres. And without sounding arrogant, I nailed it. I just, I, my, I loved, I just, I had been, I had wanted to do a 100-miler for a very long time, but I wanted to do a race that it, the timing needed to be right, the training and the preparation needed to fit into our family life. And um, I just, this was the Brisbane Trail Ultra, it, um, which is not far from home on the Sunshine Coast. So I trained, I spent a lot of time down in Brisbane training and I explored new trails and I was inspired by what the, the new terrain that I got to race on. So I, from, from when my coach and I decided that this, the ra this is the race that we were going to do, I had 12 weeks to prepare and I, I wasn't starting from scratch. I had been racing and I had a lot of volume in the body prior to that 12-week mark. But once we decided that this is the race we're going to go for, it was one of those preparations where just everything went right. I, I yeah, we made weekends of it with my family. Of course, I, I did all those recovery things that I spoke of moments ago. One session at least a week at the recovery room in in compression boots and all those things and nutrition. We just, my partner's amazing at supporting me with, with feeding me to, to get me ready for these races. And then on race over the race day, I just, there wasn't one moment throughout the 26 hours of running or racing that I, I didn't want to be there. I was, I was so happy throughout the whole race. And of course there was pain and there was moments was like, Oh, this is tough. But I, I had a great crew. I had a great in an ultra marathon, like a hundred miler, you have the opportunity of having a person run with you overnight, through, particularly through some of the more treacherous technical areas, just for safety. And I had some, I had two great mates who ran with me for two sections and um, we had a laugh. I just, it was one of those races I look back upon and can't help but smile that I ticked all the boxes. I'm proud of how I approached it. I didn't 
set um, goals that were unreachable. I, I, I wanted to do it in 26 hours and I did it in 26 hours and 13 minutes. I came third. It was the first race in my life where I actually won a check. Not that I do it for that reasons, but it was novel to, to win a little bit of prize money for running this, this thing that I've only ever done for, for the love of it. Um, uh, it just, that, that there are other races where things went really right and well, but that race was my most, what I look upon as just my most joyful race and the, a race that I feel like I put together really, really, excuse me, really, really well. Sounds like preparation is such a fundamental part of um, having a great race, which is so true in life, right? Like preparing when you're good, doing personal growth and development, learning as much as you can about yourself when life's good so that when the pains do come, you have all these resources at your beck and call to really call on to get you through those challenging moments. Is there anything in particular? You mentioned mantras just before. I'd just be interested to know, is there a specific mantra that you say to yourself when you're in those challenges and do they also apply into your personal life? Um, to both of those points, I think preparation is absolutely key and I I spend a lot of time, I've got flowcharts and spreadsheets and I have team meetings with my crew and I have it all mapped out. So I just think, you know, that quote, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And um, it's certainly something I take quite seriously in training and racing. Um, the mantras that I, the very common one that many of us use, this too shall pass, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. I use that a lot. And I do use that in life as well. Another mantra that I have is um, courage and comfort don't exist. Like I can't be comfortable and courageous simultaneously if I'm going to be really courageous in how I pursue life or this race when it's getting really gnarly and hard then then it's not got necessarily going to be comfortable so it's that courage and comfort don't coexist and just then making a choice do you choose comfort or do you choose courage and, and I'll ask myself that repeatedly do you choose courage or do you choose comfort do you choose courage do you choose comfort um in a race perhaps a bit shorter in an Ironman or other like, perhaps marathons and things of you run with your head then you run with your heart. Oh, sorry, you run with your head, you run with your legs, you run with your heart. In the first half of the race, just be smart. Um, in the second half of the race, you're running with your legs that you've trained in condition. And in that last third of the race, it's running with your heart. It's running with passion. It's running with purpose. It's running with um, courage. So it's run with your head, run with your legs, run with your heart is another one that I use. But that's probably not as relevant to life as such, although it could be. Um, but, yeah, I, I certainly, the mantras I use, I use in life often. I love them and they're so powerful. Mm. I just was looking at a quote. I finished just a, just did a 6K run. I've just I fractured my legs. So I'm just coming back from that. But mm. I was just finishing a 6K run and I just looked onto my phone and, and sometimes I love looking at running quotes. And there was this one from... Robert D. Costello, which who was a great runner in the 80s and mm. 90s. The marathon's about being in contention over the last 10 Ks. That's mm. when it's what uh, all about what you have in your core. You have run all the strength, all the superficial fitness out of yourself, <laughs> and it really comes down to what's left inside of you. To be able to draw deep and pull something out of yourself is one of the most tremendous things about the marathon. And as I read that, I thought, Gosh, you know what? That includes any challenge, difficulty or mm -hmm. obstacle. This is the marathon of life. And in many ways, those of us that are attracted to and drawn to ultras in, in some context are using these as metaphors for life. Mm -hmm. And so what I've really noticed about you as a practitioner, a teacher, a athlete, is you just, as, as time's gone on, your heart has got bigger. You just ooze. Um, positivity you have such a zest for life has that got bigger and better as you've got older and your focus isn't so self-driven but it seems to be more I don't know it's like you're doing this for humanity now it seems <laughs> like you're doing this for something greater than just you would that be fair to say I, I I think that's accurate yeah I think it's 
I think a large part of my purpose in life is to inspire others. And one of the ways I feel I can inspire is to lead by example. So what motivates me to push myself um, does come from a place of wanting to show others what they're capable of and share my stories openly and share the time. Also, I do consider myself quite positive. I, I also acknowledge that at times it really sucks and it's hard and I don't want to do it. And But I want to share that part of the story too because that too will show if I can do it, others can. And I just want to constantly be a source of inspiration to people and, and shift the dial for humanity to to express that extraordinary potential that exists within them. Um, so whilst I'm, I'm certainly motivated to explore myself and my potential, there's an external motivation to, to show others what's possible. Mm. Yeah. I think that's what makes you such a magnet for us all. Thank you. Um, when you <laughs> opened your amazing studio here in Malula Bar on the Sunshine Coast, mm. how did that feel for you to then create your own business up here after leaving Melbourne? Um, tell us a little bit about it from a business perspective and has mm. all this training and this inner and outer wisdom also supported you in business? Mm. That's powerful. And I, I probably haven't reflected on this as much as I, it warrants. Um, it was tough for me to open my own practice. If I'm honest with you, I, I was a little bit burnt out chiropractically and in practice. And I, I'd been in practice, I've been in practice for, this is my 21st year in practice. And I, I felt I hadn't achieved what I wanted to achieve or I certainly was riddled with self-doubt. Was I good enough? Was I the kind of chiropractor that I always thought I could be? Um, and I, I admittedly, there was times where I, I was done. I, I, I was seeking other vocations yet. I was so immersed in chiropractic from such a young age. I didn't know what else to do with my life. So that was a conundrum. I wasn't going to do this. What else was I going to do? Um, and I reached out to a friend of mine who, you know, Lawrence Tam. Um, and I just, I, 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 He's a, a chiropractic coach, a business coach, a life coach. He's been an inspiration to me for many years. And I just, it was one of those desperate calls. It's like, I just, I don't know that I can do it anymore. And I don't know that I can practice chiropractic, but I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't do it. But then there was a little part of me that's like, well, what if I did it my way? What if I opened my own practice? What if I, what if it could look different to how I've done it in the past? And one of Lawrence's superpowers, I think, is um, giving people permission to embrace their authenticity and make that the priority in business. So just so he kind of gave me the confidence to, like, and the resources, I've got you back, let's do this, and gave me permission to do it that was in a way that was really authentic to me, which is what we talked about a little bit before about that embracing a heart-led practice, embracing, telling my story through my practice. Um, and one of the things that was a high priority for me with my practice, which is called the health studio, was I didn't want it to be clinical. Like I didn't want it to, I want it to feel like, almost like you're coming into my lounge, <laughs> that there's couches and there's ottomans and um, and we often have people that come in and just hang out and sit on the couch, even if they don't have an appointment, um, which is makes me so proud because that was that was wanting to create that a sense of community and belonging. I think we do want to feel a sense of belonging as humans, and people are seeking connection. And whilst obviously a big part of my business is, is being a chiropractor and delivering those services, above that is wanting to create a community of where people can come and feel loved and supported and embraced and they can have be having their best day or their worst day and, and we'll meet them with kindness and compassion. And um, and I, I, I don't know that I did that. Well, I certainly didn't do that as my focus in the, uh, <laughs> the first 15 years of my career. I mean, I always loved what I did and I loved my patients and endeavoured to serve them to the best of my ability. But the shift for me in running my own practice was community and and loving service first and foremost and having a great support network and, and Lawrence offered me that 
and my partner offered me that and I had some great other amazing women around me who I met on the Sunshine Coast prior to opening my business who saw in me my potential, who kind of nudged me, (laughs) sometimes uncomfortably nudged me in the direction and and told me that I, I do have what it takes and people do want what I offer and um it, it it took a leap of faith <laughs> to to say yes to the opportunity to open my own practice and and I was scared as hell to be honest I and yet within a within six months I was reaching goals that I had set for myself to reach in three years um so I'm certainly glad I took the leap of faith to open my own practice here on the Sunshine Coast You sound to me like someone who's also willing to accept she doesn't know everything, she needs support Mm. sometimes. And that, I always said this, to be an elite athlete, you need coaches, mentors, support Mm. teams, people that are going to help you with rehabilitation to get through the tough times, the good times, how to celebrate, how to win well, how to lose well, all of these things. Yet we seem to underrate and underestimate the power of having a life coach or a business Mm. coach or someone. And you've just touched really strongly on that, the power of community, support, Mm. mentorship, but also the guts and courage it takes to actually ask for that help. Mm. Is that letting go of ego, being able to do that? Is that, do, do you think there was an element of tapping into that part of your heart that just saw such potential but needed guidance or is it letting go of barriers or what we believe we should be or could be? How did you really cross that line into reaching out to someone like Lawrence? Um, absolute vulnerability and just that to accept that I was professionally not in the place where I wanted to be and and to have the courage to show someone in my mind that I had failed until that point and there, there perhaps was this facade that I was maintaining professionally and to to trust in someone that I wasn't getting it right, that I wasn't happy, that I needed help. Um, and I think I reached out to the perfect person Um and I'm, I'm indebted to Lawrence for what he offered me three years ago now, just over three years ago, um, a lifeline in chiropractic because I was so ready to throw it all in. And But I, I think it was letting go of ego. It was being prepared to say, I ain't got this right. I need help. And and a certain level of desperation. Like if I don't do this, I don't know what to do. So I've got a choice. I've got the, you know, the choice is I give up and I, I redefine myself or I find a way, but I'm not going to find a way doing it the way I've always done it. And I'm not going to find a way with the people that I've got currently around me or I've had around me in the past. I need a new network. I need a, I need to, to reach out to different people who, who see in me potential, who, um, and, and can nudge me and inspire me and uh, encourage me to give it a go. I think I've become very good at asking for help too. And, and within my team, I, I absolutely acknowledge that I'm not very good in many aspects of running a business um, and that's okay. And, but I can employ and, and surround myself with people who, who can do that task well and just I've learned to stay in my lane and ask for help on those things that aren't within my skill set and that I don't have to do it all and be it all and do it on my own, that it, it's okay to empower others with the tasks and the roles that, that either I don't like doing or I don't think I'm very good at. <laughs> Um, being a good human means having a good team but mm. I think we humans do life too well on our own and mm. I think that that community that connection that collaboration that sense of care is all just so so important mm. and you said there about staying in your own lane um, being vulnerable enough to ask for help to, to actually realize that, to cross that line, to, to, to say to myself, that's it, I need this. Mm. I think that is one of the greatest acts of self-love we could ever gift to ourselves mm. is almost hitting that rock bottom, mm. acknowledging it, being aware of it, and then taking action to create a new outcome mm. is, is a real act of care and self-love. What is your definition of self-love? Mm. I think for me it is that reminding myself that I am 
capable of more than I could possibly imagine, that I am a part of divine creation. And if I, if I believe that I'm, we are as human beings all interconnected with each other and all interconnected with the magnificence of the universe, how can I not recognise my magnificence if I'm a part of that? And so self-love to me is reminding myself of that, that I am a part of, that it is my divine blueprint to live an extraordinary life. And so when, when doubt creeps in or when fear freezes me or when I'm comparing myself to others and that's robbing me of joy or bliss to come back to, but I'm, I'm a part of this amazing thing called humankind. I'm a part of this amazing thing called nature that's, divinely created and to recognize that within me gives me a little bit of courage to to soldier on or to keep going or to take that leap of faith or to love myself that little bit more or to meet myself with more kindness so beautiful and so important and I love that idea of meeting yourself really love it if people wanted to follow you if they wanted to know I need this woman I want her mm-hmm. if if they don't live on the sunshine coast how can people contact and reach out to you or follow you where can we find you um on instagram my insta handle is the innate athlete n-a-i-n-a-t-e so they can certainly follow my athletic journeys and my yoga journeys there um my health studio we have an instagram page as well just the health studio that's probably the most uh, accessible way to access to find me um my website the health studio sunshinecoast.com.au is you i guess you could learn a little bit more about what we offer at the studio yeah so beautiful and you didn't mention and you've done this because i know that I've proudly been a part of it, but you also really love to bring community together and locals and to come and speak and to share their passions and their dreams mm. and their loves. And I, I guess that's what I love doing here on the, on the podcast is sharing the people I love and hearing their stories. But mm. um, you do also offer, uh, I know COVID put a stop to many of these things mm. for a while, but we're slowly coming out the other side. You're still running workshops out of that beautiful studio of yours in Malolaba? I am. And there's a, as you say, COVID put a bit of a stop to that, but there's absolutely a recommitment to looking at the back end of the year, what events that we want to run again. Um, I like, you know, at least once a month, whether it's me presenting a topic or having wonderful humans like yourself coming in and, and talking to particular topics. Um, and it is that sharing knowledge and, and creating community. Um, so absolutely, that's a big part of my purpose at the health studio is to, to run events again, you know, whether it's a yoga and wine event or whether it's a self-love event or um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's a safe space for people to come and be inspired and, um, and to be with other people who are seeking connection and, and also personal development and inspiration. So absolutely. They'll be certainly advertised over my mediums, the social media platforms. Definitely. Cannot wait, my sweetheart. (laughs) Thank you. The self-love podcast listener is an incredible soul. They Mm. are constantly striving to be a bigger, better version of themselves, to learn more, to see themselves in my guests' stories, to honour who they are and to truly love who they are. Could you please give us a final message? What would you want to say to a person that really is committed to loving themselves? What would be your final message? And then maybe you could share with us a favourite quote of yours right now. Mm. I think my, my favourite, my message to part with people is, is just you are designed to be and do extraordinary things. It is in your divine blueprint to live an extraordinary life. And to be mindful of the choices that we're making to bring that potential forward. Um, that's certainly my, my parting message. Um, the quote, a quote that I'm with it has been relevant to me most recently is a quote by uh, Dr. BJ Palmer, one of the developers of chiropractic. And the quote is, um, you never know how far reaching something you may say, think or do today will impact the lives of millions tomorrow. And I think if we, if we truly want to live a virtuous life and a life of compassion and a life of service and if we want to make a difference in the world, then 
let's be kind with our words. Let's be kind to ourselves and to others with our thoughts and, and let's be kind in our actions. And we can either through our thoughts, our words and our actions, we can either hurt or we can heal, we can help or we can hinder. Um, and I, that to me at the moment is a, a quote that I'm, I've got it written on my desk at work and it's a big part, just be mindful of what I think and say and do to myself, to others and to the planet so that I can live a greater life of virtue and, and compassion and, and hopefully inspire others to do the same. Well, I'm covered in goosebumps. I am every time I see you, hear you, watch you and have the privilege of being in your company and, and having your hugs, your touch, your care. It is such an incredible delight to know you, my friend. And I just want to say, um, I know that for many of us listening to this may not want to go and run you know, a hundred mile race or hundred K trail race, or realize that the soul is also, you know, run incredible races like the Kona Ironman. Um, I just know that how you've explained it and what you've done and how you've said this today has really been an incredible metaphor for all of us, no matter what marathon we're running, so to speak, no matter where we're at in our lives, we can all take something from the incredibly profound messages that you've shared today. And I just want to say high five and I'm going to high five the hell out of Lawrence for not letting you go out of the chiropractic world. <laughs> I'm so grateful to him on his new magical journey. Um, but thank you, sweetheart, and for being so real and honest and showing us that to be a champion, it's not always pretty and sparkles, rainbows and unicorns. There's a hell of a lot of, you know, challenge and, and, and real deep inquiry to mm. get the best out of ourselves. So Thank you so much for being with me today and for being on the Self-Love Podcast. Thank you so much, Kimmy, for the opportunity to share a little part of my story and I, I really hope your listeners get something out of it that moves and inspires them and, um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I can promise you they already got their shoes on, they're out training, they're ready for <laughs> the next local city marathon, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Lo Kim. Love you, honey. You too. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.